This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Donna Noche entered college as a major in veterinary medicine, but when a part-time job at a local retail store led to the chance to try her hand as a fashion buyer, she became hooked on the retail industry. For the past six years, Noche has been president of White House Black Market, a retail chain that sells designs focused around the classic color combination. In this interview with Knowledge at Wharton, Noche discussed the changes she's witnessed over 35 years in the fashion industry and what has remained the same. We're meeting today with Donna Noche, who is the brand president for White House Black Market. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. I'm happy to be here. Tell us about your target market and what the brand has done to differentiate itself from your competitors. Well, our target market is women, uh, median age group of about 45. So we really uh, focus our efforts around a woman that's at a stage in her life where she's very busy, um, primarily working women. She's probably got one or two kids left home, but may in fact, most of her children may be out of the house and on their way to college already. Um, And... You know, we saw a niche uh, for ourselves back about five years ago when I joined the company that really identified an opportunity. Where do women in their mid-40s go to look current but not inappropriate for their age? So we identified uh, this little sweet spot in the market that we were going to go after. And being different is very much a part of who we are. There's a famous quote uh, that I like to remind my team about all the time. And it's by Coco Chanel, one of the most famous designers. And she said, to truly be irreplaceable, one must be different. So if we want to be irreplaceable as a brand, uh, we try to maintain uniqueness. And primarily, uh, we do it through two ways. One, which is the most important, it's the relationship that we build with our customers. So we have an incredibly high standard of customer service. And even when the economy was tough back in 2008, the one thing that we didn't sacrifice was our associates and the payroll um, of those associates that were going to interact with our customers. Because we felt as though if we built relationships at that time, regardless of whether our customer had money to spend, she would come back when she was ready to spend, and she did come back. And then the second way we differentiate ourselves is in our product. So we have an international design team uh, in Fort Myers, Florida, and we design all our product uh, very uniquely to our brand and to our boutiques. And we try to not only provide our customer with very current fashion, but we also try to provide her with incredible value through the quality and the fit and the fabrics that we use. Uh, tell us a little bit about how widespread your network is, how many stores do you have, and where most of them are located. Yeah. We're actually re- uh, located all across uh, the continental U.S., uh, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands. Today, we have, we're operating about 405 uh, what we call our frontline or our full-price boutiques. We actually refer to them as boutiques. And we have about 40 outlets uh, outlet stores that are located in outlet centers across the country. But we are in the midst of a very, very big growth spurt, and we're going to open about another 60 stores this year. How has the customer changed since you began working in retail? 
And what are some of the key things that have stayed the same? Uh, I think the, I'll start with the what has stayed the same. I think what stayed the same is, uh, I think women want to feel special, uh, regardless of whether they're shopping for clothes or they're going for a spa treatment. And I think one of the things that has stayed very much the same in the 35 years I've been doing this is the relationship and the importance of the relationship with the customer. As I mentioned earlier, you know, when someone crosses your, you know, as we refer to lease line or comes in the door of one of our stores, you don't know what's going on in that person's life that particular day. Um, and I think what's important is realizing that regardless of whether that woman's going to spend money today or not is not the important part of that relationship. The important part of that relationship is whether or not she's going to remember that interaction that you had with her in a very positive way and come back and spread the word. And I don't think that has ever changed in retail. So building relationships and the importance of those relationships, exactly the same. I think what has happened is certainly technology has opened up you know, a 24-7 uh, world for most consumers, and also the ability uh, from the luxury of, of their own home, anytime, any place, to be able to evaluate what you do in comparison to everyone else. And that has changed the dynamics of how we do business. Everything is so immediate today that our ability to respond uh, with even a greater sense of urgency has become more and more a priority, I think, for most retailers. And because she can shop at her leisure and she can shop infinitely, um, how do you stand out amongst all the noise that's created not only now when she walks through the mall, but when you know she's sitting at her kitchen table having a cup of coffee? So you have to be able to cut through that, and that's where maintaining the uniqueness um, and we do it again through our product and through our service, but uh, is very, very important. And carrying that across multiple channels so that the experience is always the same. So Chico's as a company and Black House White Market as a brand are, as you mentioned, primarily U.S. focused. But there's all the talk of the global economy, um, the emerging markets, India, China, Brazil. How do they do they fit into your business plan going forward? Well, we are exploring opportunities internationally. We've not decided yet um, on what that's going to look like, but we are in the process right now of uh, evaluating all the opportunities for the brands that sit within the entire Chico's portfolio, White House Black Market, uh, you know, being one of four. And of course, you are. You mentioned that your design team is international, so that's yes. global. And yes. I'm assuming that you do some all sourcing. Globally and so yes, forth. all so. of our actually all of most of uh, I would say probably ninety eight percent of our production is uh, out of the country, and most of it is in in, Asia, in Asian based countries, uh, and has been for a number of years. Then there's a the question of social media and providing multi channel brand experiences, which has become increasingly important as you were beginning to talk about. Uh, what do you consider some of the key tools to be successful in that realm today? Well, multi-channel, you know, omni-channel is like it's become the buzzword uh, of the of the uh, of the year. It seems lately. You know, we've been very successful with our social media efforts. Actually, just this week, um, we hit five hundred thousand fans on our Facebook page, which we celebrated gloriously um, because I think when we launched our Facebook page. 
about two and a half years ago. So in, in two and a half years, we've gone from zero to 500,000 fans, which is great. Um, what social media allows you to do is it, allow, it allows you to engage with your customer on a very consistent basis. And it also allows you to provide some relevancy into her life. I'm a huge believer in adding value to our customers customers or not really doing it. So I don't view social media as just, you know, the ability to throw noise out to her, but I want to ensure that if I'm going to impose on her personal time and I'm going to engage her, that I'm adding value back to her. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think social media needs to be hard selling. Um, I think that women want to feel as though they're part of a community, part of, you know, the same relevant interests um, to be able to engage her. And that's how we use our social media. One of the things that we do that is highly unusual in the retail environment is we allow our customers to post on our Facebook page, which most retailers will only allow you to post if they post something so you can reply. And our customers are very, very engaged um, with us because we allow them to share. Now, I also use, as the president of the brand, I use social media every day of my life because every night, I have a reputation for this, every night before I close my eyes, I get online and I read through our Facebook page. And the reason I do that is it allows me to stay very much in touch with my customer. And I think the crux of that omni-channel, multi-channel experience has to be, if your customer is your top priority, she needs to be your top priority in every touch point you have with her. And that needs to feel very seamless. So I will jump on Facebook and respond to a customer as fast as I'll walk up to a customer in a boutique and introduce myself um, and engage in a conversation. So I think you have an obligation once you go out there uh, to ensure that you engage your customer the same way, regardless of whether you're speaking to her in person or you're speaking, her, speaking to her through a different medium. So you're collecting a lot from the market in, in the various ways that you do this, and you're allowing the market to interact with itself. But, and you talked about sort of a light touch on your outreach. Could you give me a couple of examples of how you do that that might be different than the way other brands handle it? Well, I listen to my, first of all, I listen to my customer. I think it's really important that um, in any industry that you're in, right, you're only as relevant as you allow yourself to stay to a consumer. But I'll give you a very fun example of uh, a positive outcome. This is going back probably about two years ago now. I was online. Now I log into our Facebook page, and I see all of these posts coming up, like 30 of them, all from women in Billings, Montana. Billings, Montana. And I start reading through them, and the gist of it was, oh my God, we don't have a White House black market in Billings, Montana. Why don't you come to Billings, Montana? So next morning, I went to the office, I get on the phone with our head of real estate, and I said, why don't we have a store in Billings, Montana? And I said, find me a space. And sure enough, he found me a space, and uh, this past September, we had the grand opening of the store, which they were so excited to have us. I mean, it was on television. I did radio appearances. We did a ribbon cutting, you know, key to the city, the whole nine yards. And the women were so excited that somebody actually listened to them. And the power of social media, right, the power of social media of being so relevant. Now, that's an extreme example of it. Not so extreme example is somebody has a bad experience in one of our stores. You know how far a bad experience goes versus a good experience? 
They tell us seven people on average, or is it 13? It's some huge number. So not only do we respond on our Facebook page openly, because I believe in being very open, but I personally, or my head of store operations personally, will call the customer. So, and when you are not um, reacting to something that, that you see on that page, as far as actively going out, what kinds of communications do you do in that case? Well, we share um, we share our excitement about product launches. We ask them questions about preferences. We polled all of our uh, fa- Facebook fans about a year ago on if you could pick what your favorite, you know, what color haven't we done for you that you'd like to see us do? And the number one restra- the response was purple, and that's what we delivered to them in September, and and they remembered it. Um, did it work? It did. It worked. <laughs> it was fabulous. They liked if it. you listen, mm-hmm. um, and we also use the medium for special events. So we'll have unique offerings that we'll put out just for our Facebook fans, and that has been um, very successful as well. And while it's somewhat revenue generating, uh, it creates the buzz and the excitement, and it makes them feel special. Which which is what all anybody wants, right, is to feel special. Your company has a very specific brand identity. It's about this black and white clothing. Mm-hmm. I realize you have some colors like purple. Uh, but some would see that as a limitation for the brand. I'm thinking you don't think of it that way. So how do you make it work to your advantage? Um, you know, it's it's so simple, right? It's the simplicity of what we do. and. It is, you know, not about, we're not just about doing, you know, black and white clothing, but what we're about doing is helping women learn how to take a foundation of a wardrobe and build around that season after season. Um, You know, so when we introduced color into the brand, which only happened about four and a half years ago, um, it had a remarkable impact on the rate of growth, which you can imagine, because it does, it's difficult to do nothing but black and white, which is what the business did for a number of years. But the importance of maintaining that foundation is really based in the simplicity of ask any woman which is the most hanging in her closet. It's going to be black and white. And I think what we do is we leverage that, you know, we, we, we leverage that authority to teach her not just how to shop and buy a lot of clothes, but how to build a real working wardrobe for herself. What do you see as some of the key fashion trends now? Um popular color, style, what's happening, what's going to be happening this year? God, it's all about pants. For me, it's all about pants this year. Um, You know, color's been explosive uh, for the last uh, two years. Actually, I think to the point where women are ready to settle back down. Uh, When I was in Europe, actually, back in September, uh, notably, and if... uh, you know, anyone that watches catches the runway shows, which anybody can watch now online. Uh, all of the big designers came down the runway actually with nothing but black and white. So I think we're going to start to see a migration away from the explosion of color and probably more of a model that looks like what we do, which is heavy black and white with an accent of color. So I think we'll start to see movement away from color a little bit. Um, definitely seeing a resurgence in the simplicity of dressing in a dress. So I think dresses are going to become a big part of women's uh, staple wardrobes again. And again, as I mentioned, to me, the skinny ankle pant, like woohoo, bring back Audrey Hepburn uh, with a little pair of flats. And uh, I think you're going to see a big change in in how women are going to start to dress again. Okay. Uh, So older women are trying to dress younger these days. Um, What does that mean for your brand? Uh, you know, I did older women trying to think, you know, what is it, uh, you know, 40s, the new 30, 50s, the new 40. Um, you know, age is such a state of mind. And I think what's important 
is that women dress in a way that's, number one, comfortable for them, um, and number two, appropriate from the perspective of, I don't want to look like my 27-year-old daughter, but my 27-year-old daughter and I have a lot of the same clothes hanging in our closet. It's just how we put it together. So what we try to do is we try to provide current style, current fashion um, in a very appropriate manner and through our great customer service, try to teach women how to put it together so it feels right and is comfortable for them for their age group. But again, the advice I always give women about fashion is you have to look in the mirror and feel comfortable. You have to feel beautiful um, and you have to, with great confidence, be able to walk into a room knowing that you feel and look appropriate for the occasion. So I don't get so hung up on the fashion piece as much as I get hung up on the, you know, do what's right for you. And what we try to do is view everything through the eyes of, as I said, you know, a woman who's in her 40s. You can be in your in your 20s and shop with us or in your 60s and shop with us, but uh, keeping that focus has been a big part of our success and hopefully will continue to be. How'd you choose retail as a career? Oh, it was crazy. Uh, I actually went, when I started college, I was a pre-veterinary medicine major. So uh, the big joke in my family is my mom still tells me, I can't believe you do this for a living because I couldn't even get you to put a dress on. I was a tomboy and uh, it was not ever on my radar screen. So I didn't grow up saying I wanted to be a fashion designer. I actually cut off all the hair on my Barbie dolls and, you know, it wasn't, wasn't in the cards. But uh, when I was in college and I had to take a uh, job, part-time job, I started working for this gentleman who owned uh, two very small local stores. And he said to me, hey, you know, how would you like to buy for the one store? And I said, I don't know. It's extra cash. Sounds good to me. And I started working with him, and he took me into Manhattan, taught me how to do it. And the first, I'll never forget the first time the the merchandise that I picked out for that store came in and it sold. I thought, wow, this is incredible. Like, this isn't, what a rush. And I fell in love with it. I just fell in love with, with the whole idea of being in a business that I could predict what a consumer would want and then have the exposure of watching how it made them feel. Very, very interesting dynamic. So different perspective probably than most people you would talk to in the fashion industry. And then I left there and I took a job with a bigger company and my career just took off and I realized because I loved what I did. I got up every morning with this, and I still do, with this incredible passion and this can't wait to get to work attitude um, that I had fallen into what I was intended to do. And what I love about the industry is it allows me to be incredibly creative, but it also has a very strong foundation in business. And that part of balancing this sort of very creative side with this strong business acumen and applying those two skills and talents together to run a business, a fashion business, is incredibly rewarding. Challenging, but incredibly rewarding. And what about your experiences from your time in school in the early years of your career? Um, Has that proved helpful to you in your job and how? I, you know what, if I could, if I could go back to school every year even at this age and at this stage of my life, I would. Because, you know, education is one of the most incredible uh, gifts that we get. And, you know, I can remember sitting back in school thinking to myself, what am I ever going to do with all of this 
information. Um, and as I look back now, um, that foundation, whether it was algebraic in nature, <laughs> um, scientific in nature, uh, grammatic in nature, all built this foundation of the successful professional I've grown into today. And um, I have throughout the years periodically gone back. Uh, you know, this week at Wharton has been an amazing experience. And, you know, I, I, you know, people have said to me when I was coming, you're going for a week on a finance course? You know, you're the president of the company. You have, you have people that can do this for you. And I said, you know what? You can never learn enough. You can never. And, and sitting there this week, by the end of the week, and that ap practical application of all of this knowledge I gained will make me so much stronger and prepare me for things in the future um, that otherwise I wouldn't have been prepared for. So even though when I look back through the years, at certain points in time, I couldn't understand how I was going to apply that knowledge to that moment in time. What I've come to realize is I've matured. It's not about that moment in time. It's about what it prepares you for in the future. And that's how I look back on my continued education, because every day when I go to work, I learn something new. But um, one of the smart things I've done, I think, through my entire careers at junctures have allowed myself to go back and put myself in a, you know, a learning institution, not always a traditional um, school or classroom environment, to improve myself both personally and professionally. So I've been able to mature on so many different levels. And I think that's what education does for you. It gives you maturity at different stages in your life. Um, some of it you use immediately, and some of it are things you carry with you for a number of years before you realize you tap back into it. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.